Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here in Columbus, where we will be staying this weekend because unlike the last four years, unlike every year since I've been working here at 11 Warriors, Ohio State will not be playing in the Big Ten Championship game this week, which feels a little weird, doesn't it, Griffin? It definitely does. It, it had become such a routine for Ohio State to make that game that we really didn't know what to do with ourselves, considering the next day we thought we were going to be on a, a Zoom call with Wisconsin coaches. We thought that was going to happen, and we thought Ohio State was going to make it past Michigan. Neither of those two things actually ended up happening in the end, though. Yes. Thought that we would be going to Indy for a fifth straight year to cover Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game, but instead, Michigan will be playing Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game because for the first time since 2011, in case for somehow you're just hearing this information for the first time, Ohio State lost to Michigan in Ann Arbor on Saturday, 42-27, to a game that uh, is undoubtedly going to be talked about by Ohio State fans and within Columbus for a long time because it had been a long time since Ohio State had lost to Michigan. And not only that, but a loss that basically ruined Ohio State's season because, as mentioned, Ohio State will not get to play for a Big Ten championship game this weekend. Barring a minor miracle, Ohio State will not be in the college ball playoff. And Ohio State now, at this point, has just one game left in a to-be-determined bowl game that we'll learn about on Sunday, and we'll be able to talk to you about next week. And we are going to spend a lot of time on this show talking about what's next for the Ohio State football team, because I think that's the question that a lot of people have right now. But you know, we got to start by talking about the game that we saw in Ann Arbor on Saturday. And quite frankly, I think the word I used in my recap of the game was Ohio State got bullied. They, they really did because this was a game that Michigan dominated in the trenches. I know our Kyle Jones wrote about that on Monday and you can read his film study uh, for some great insight as always. We've talked about it before. Like I, I think back to last year's game against Clemson and how Ohio State won that game. And Ohio State won that game because it was able to dominate the trenches. And we so often talk about the skill position players and the explosiveness of Ohio State's passing attack. But more often than not, when you get into these big games, it comes down to who can control the line of scrimmage. And there's no doubt about it that Michigan controlled the line of scrimmage in this game. Offensively, Michigan was dominant running the ball, 297 yards, six rushing touchdowns, the fourth most yards per carry Ohio State has ever allowed in a game as Michigan ran for 7.2 yards per attempt. And Ohio State's defense really couldn't get off the field. And then on the other side of a ball, we saw a recurrence of the issues that we had seen a few weeks prior against Penn State and Nebraska, where Ohio State... Got a lot of yards through the air, but the Buckeyes couldn't consistently finish off drives of touchdowns. They couldn't get much of anything going at all in the running game. And they had a lot of penalties, a lot of negative plays that got them off schedule. So we had talked on the podcast a couple weeks ago about, I, I felt like, the reason why a lot of Ohio State fans struggled to enjoy the wins was because they had this fear that if the defense had a bad day and the offense had a bad day, 
on the same day, this is what could happen. And that's what happened uh, against Michigan is Ohio State allowed more points than it allowed in any game before that game. And it scored its second lowest point total of the season. And when those things happen, you usually lose. And we're coming off a game from Ohio State where they held Michigan State, a team with a a comparable running attack, a team with a potential Heisman Trophy candidate at that point in Kenneth Walker at the running back position, held that team to 66 yards rushing. And that's why it seemed like the run defense had become such a strength for for the Ohio State defense coming into the Michigan game. I wrote a piece going into that game saying, Michigan's going to bring another run-heavy attack to Ohio State. But, I mean, look at what Ohio State's done against the run the last, really, since week two against Oregon. And they'd shut it down almost completely. I think the most yards anyone had against Ohio State since that Oregon game was like 113. And like like I said, 66 for Michigan State. Michigan ran for, I think, 60 on the opening drive. And then, of course, Hassan Haskins goes on to have 169 and five touchdowns, which is a rivalry game record, on 28 carries. 7.2 7.2 yards per carry for the entire team against Michigan, against Ohio State, I should say. And no team is going to win a game when they're giving up 300 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. To, when you only run yourself for 64 yards on 2.1 yards per carry, and you give up 297 on 7.2 yards per carry. I mean, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. That's an ass kicking. I mean, that's what it was. It is. It was Michigan. Uh, was the more physical team. It was. It, it. It was able to bully Ohio State at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and that's really what it was. I mean, that's really what it was. Is Mich- Michigan was able to control. It was able to control the tempo of a game. It was able to control the way the game was played, and and Ohio State could never seize that back. And that certainly starts with. The run defense. It starts with the fact that Ohio State was not able to make crucial stops. I mean, even in the Oregon game, we saw Ohio State at the end of that game was able to come up with some key stops to give Ohio give give the offense a chance. But in this game, the defense just couldn't get it done. They just couldn't get off the field. Michigan knew it could just keep running the ball at them, and it was going to be able to move the ball. And that's why you know, part of what we're going to be talking about on this show is you know, potential changes to the defensive coaching staff because I think that's the most shocking part of it is how poorly Ohio State played on run defense because it felt like they had really improved in that area from the first two games of the season. I mean, you look at the previous nine games before the Michigan game, Ohio State had not allowed more than 113 rushing yards in any of those nine games. So it felt like the run defense had gotten significantly better. But when they had to play a a team with an elite rushing offense, a team with, I think the one big difference between Michigan and Michigan State is Michigan State has a really good offensive line. Michigan State does not. Michigan State has a more talented running back in Kenneth Walker, but Michigan has a better offensive line, a better tight end, better tight ends, probably better a better scheme. And Ohio State just had no answer for it. Yeah, and the Ohio State defense actually, in the first half, they started to get some momentum in terms of stops because after Michigan scored a touchdown on that opening drive, they went interception from Bryson Shaw, which seemed like a huge potential change in momentum. Then they forced two punts. Then Michigan scores another touchdown there late in or or midway through the the second quarter, I should say. 
Then we go to halftime. After that, though, Dan, Ohio State never stopped Michigan again. It was touchdown. And then, of course, the kneel down victory formation. And think, think back to the Oregon game. Why everybody kind of, why it seemed so dire that defensive changes had to happen was because all of a sudden, not only was it that the the secondary, the, the pass defense, which had been maligned the past couple of years, was having issues, but now suddenly the strength of the, the defense, the run defense, was suddenly having huge issues as well. If Ohio State went on to win this game and got to the playoff again, we might not be having the same conversations, but when things came undone in that facet as quickly and effectively as they did in that game against Michigan, suddenly now it's it's kind of panic mode again in terms of this defense has to make a lot of changes because there's big problems on and really all facets of it right now. Yeah, I think it is a big combination of factors. Like, I, I know a lot of the chatter I've seen from Ohio State fans the past few days is why Ohio State basically played a 4-2-5 the entire game when Michigan's putting two tight ends in the game a lot and they're going right at you. They're, they're putting seven guys in a tight formation and they're running a the ball at you. Why are you still playing with five defensive backs. Well, the big reason for that is because Ohio State essentially had three linebackers for this game. I mean, they had they played Kate Stowe tight end at linebacker on a goal line play because their depth at linebacker had been so decimated. Now that's not a that's not a pass for Al Washington or the coaching staff because some of that goes back to development, some of it goes back to the transfers that have left, recruiting there's there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into that and it's not a pass for the coaching staff but it was a reality that in that game like they just didn't have anybody that could go in there and play sam linebacker in a base defense they, they just didn't have it they should have had it maybe a guy like court williams should have been ready to play that role they probably should have had something prepared for that but they just didn't so that's why they that's why they didn't change because they felt like well we're better off with the guys we have on the field so there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but certainly Ohio State has to get some things figured out there. I mean, I think the defensive line that was really supposed to be a dominant unit this year with all the talent and experience they had up there, it hasn't been this year. Again, zero sacks in that game. And granted, Michigan only passed the ball 20 times, but still you have all these talented defensive ends and they're really not making a big difference in the game. You have a really experienced group of defensive tackles and, and they're not changing the line of scrimmage. The, the linebackers, I think, have been a weakness all year and, and they were against Michigan. And, and and the secondary probably had one of its worst games too. I, mean, I think a guy like Denzel Burke, I think he had a great year. I think the Michigan game was clearly his worst game. And, and, that, and that's the way it goes sometimes. I mean, when you're relying on a true freshman to be your number one cornerback. You got to expect that's going to happen at some point. So I'm certainly not blaming the game on him or or anything, but it's just a matter of, they they had these issues. We knew the issues were there and they had managed to band-aid over them and and get things fixed for most of the season. But in what you can say is the biggest game of a season, they just weren't able to deliver. And it wasn't just on defense, right? It was also on offense with the, in terms of Michigan just dominating the line of scrimmage. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson had just an absolute breakout. As as if he already wasn't having a massive breakout season, what an absolute massive spotlight breakout game for him. Three sacks, he he sets the the single season sacks record for Michigan in that game. The offensive line, 
I mean, we're not going to forget anytime soon that clip that keeps going around of Thayer Munford just getting absolutely blown up at the line of scrimmage from Aiden Hutchinson. And Ohio State just couldn't run the ball. I mean, what were the final rushing numbers for Ohio State in that game? Just 64 yards on 30 attempts, 2.1 yards per carry. I mean, that is kind of staggering to look at because even when Ohio State isn't running the ball at the its absolute best, it still somehow usually ends up putting up much more impressive numbers than that. And that kind of leads us to this talk about the, the physicality, the the not being tough enough maybe or in things of that nature. And that's not a subject that we only Ohio State fans or people covering the team are talking about, Dan. It's also something that the Michigan coaching staff has been talking about. And just on Monday, something that uh, Josh Gaddis said, the Michigan off- offensive coordinator, of course, which is making headlines, is that Ohio State's a good team. They're a finesse team, I believe he said, but they're not a tough team. And Dan, how did you react to those comments coming from the Michigan coaching staff? That they're that they're probably true. I mean, I mean, what, I mean, what am I supposed to say? I mean, I, to mean to, I mean, I think that's what most Ohio State fans reacted. Honestly, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't. Of course, those are going to go on the bulletin board and they'll be brought up next year. But I think the general reaction from Ohio State fans to that was, yeah, he's right. I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of a way the game played out. And I, I think one of the big questions that I'm going to have the next time we get to talk to Ryan Day, which will probably be on Sunday, is whether this game and this season make him reconsider his philosophy and the things that the program needs to work on going forward. Because I do think that's a fair thing to say. And I think it's a fair summary of where things went wrong for this Ohio State team this year. Again, I mentioned it before. I mean, let's just get this out of the way right now before we go any forward. If you're blaming the loss on C.J. Stroud, you're probably not listening to this podcast because, honestly, you're probably not a very smart Ohio State fan, and I like to think that our listeners are smart. But if you're blaming the loss on on C.J. Stroud, don't. It, 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 Ohio State did not lose this game because of C.J. Stroud, and Ohio State didn't lose this game because it didn't play Quinn Ewers. Okay? CJ, C, I mean, C.J. Stroud didn't have his best game against Michigan, but C.J. Stroud still had a pretty good game against Michigan passing the ball. Now, I know people want to see C.J. Stroud run the ball, but again, Quinn Ewers is not Justin Fields. So this idea that Saturday's game is a reason why Quinn Ewers should be the starting quarterback at Ohio State, I just think that narrative is silly. Could Justin Fields have given Ohio State a better chance to win that game? Sure, he probably could have, but Justin Fields was a beast and Justin Fields was a rare talent. So blaming Saturday's loss on CJ Stroud, to me, that's kind of like the idiot test for an Ohio State fan right now. If you think that CJ Stroud is Ohio State's biggest problem, like you're just picking out the quarterback to blame it on because CJ Stroud's not the reason Ohio State lost. Phenomenal wide receivers that Ohio State has, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jack Swift and Jigba, they're certainly not the reason. Ohio State lost this game. Now, getting back to the premise of where things went wrong in this game, I do think you can look at the offensive line. And I mentioned before that, you know, the run defense and playing so poorly was the biggest surprise, but that was actually a lie. To me, the biggest surprise was how poor Ohio State did in pass protection in this game. Because going into that game, 
Ohio State had really been excellent in pass protection. It only allowed 13 sacks in the first 11 games. I, I thought Ohio State had been great in pass pro all year long, so I don't want to overreact to one game and anything I'm about to say as I, I say this. I also want to say that I think Aiden Hutchinson's an absolute stud, and I think there's a chance he could be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft after watching him play on Saturday because he's almost like a third Bosa brother of the way he plays. He's, he's a fantastic player, and he proved it on Saturday. But, you know, certainly was not a good game for the Ohio State offensive line in either pass protection or run blocking. And I do think it harkens back to the question that a lot of Ohio State fans have asked this year about whether this four-tackle offensive line that Ohio State decided to go with this year was the right move. And I think that's one of the hard questions that's got to be asked here of Greg Stadrawa and, and, and moving forward is whether he really got the job done this year. Because I think, again, I mean, you have to be careful about overreacting to one game because you know, Ohio State led the country in rushing yards per attempt before the Michigan game. So it's not like the running game was horrible all year. It, it, Ohio State was great in pass protection before Saturday's game. So it's not like they were bad in pass protection all year that said in the biggest game of the year they didn't deliver and that's ultimately where Ohio State is going to get judged and I do think it's I mean for one like there's a reason why offensive lines typically don't rotate guys in and out of the lineup I mean at one point in the game DeWan Jones had to leave in the middle of a series and they're frantically running Fair Munford over to left tackle and Nicholas Petit-Frere over to, to right tackle and Matt Jones into the game at left guard. And as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, yeah, may, maybe this wasn't the right way to approach things. Like, maybe if one guy going down necessitates moving three guys to different positions, maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't the best plan for the offensive line. Maybe you should have kept guys in the position that they played best and were most comfortable in and figured it out from there. And I understand why they did what they did. I mean, I sir, I was certainly supported the move when I first heard about it. So it's always easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and criticize in hindsight. I thought it made sense when they did it. I do think they genuinely felt you know, those are their best five. And then they ultimately got to the point where they felt Matt Jones is one of the best six and all six of those guys deserve to play. But I do think moving forward, they probably need to get back to, okay, who are our two best tackles and who are our two best guards and who's our best center and have those guys, five guys on the field rather than just saying we need our best five and then putting guys wherever to make that happen. Yeah, Greg Sujarawa said at some point during the season that his whole thing this offseason was to construct the offensive line to firm up that pocket for pass protection. And for most of the season, that did work to a certain extent. Like you talked about, the, the pass protection numbers were very good going into that game. But I do think that going into next year, the goal is going to have to change a little bit to be probably how can we shape and mold the offensive line to be able to play smash mouth football in the situation if you find yourself in a 28-degree snowy game in Michigan at some point that you're going to have to run the ball because they couldn't do that this year. And it was strange to see that they couldn't because in 2019, that was still a very run heavy team for Ohio state. There was more balance there in 2020, obviously with, with Trey Sermon brought to the table in some of those games, 
And then talk about the physicality in the Clemson game as well, specifically in that huge win for the program. We did not see that in big games this year for Ohio State for the most part, if you're talking about the, the two losses in particular, and that's something that's going to have to change moving forward. One of the questions we got from T 83 he said, it appeared from my vantage point there was a major difference in intensity and effort last Saturday between us and them. From the higher energy on the sidelines to the body language on the field, it appeared Michigan wanted this so much more than our guys. Do you think this is a function of the majority of the team not having experience playing in a rivalry and being shell-shocked? Or is there another reason, in your opinion? Well, you know, first of all, to the first point, I think both teams really wanted to win. I don't think that to, to characterize it as Ohio State didn't want to win. They didn't care as much as Michigan. I, I don't think that's a fair characterization. I think Michigan really wanted it. And I think it's a wake-up call in the sense of, yeah, Ohio State's not just going to roll in and beat Michigan every year just because it, it has in the past. I think Michigan was very motivated into this game. It was clear that Michigan did not like some of the things that were said about them in the past year from Ryan Day reportedly saying he was going to hang 100 on them to the accusations that they ducked Ohio State last year. I think Michigan was you know, very upset by those things and they felt like they had a point to prove and give them credit. They did it. Now, to the second question, I do think the fact that most of a team hadn't played in the rivalry game did have an impact on this. I think the fact that most of these guys really didn't even have that much experience playing on the road because so many of them are first-year players and there weren't any true road games last year. Yeah, it was a fifth road game of a year, but none of the other road games really compared to this one. Like Nebraska was probably the closest thing that compared to Michigan. But Indiana, Rutgers, Minnesota, those aren't the same beast as playing in the game against Michigan. And so I, I think the fact that this was a team that was inexperienced on the road, I had thought going into the game, I didn't think playing on the road would be a huge deal for Ohio State. I was wrong. I, I think that it was a big deal. I think we saw that with some of the false start penalties and even just kind of a lack of composure we saw from Ohio State at times. Some of it, it was very clear, like especially in the third quarter there, coming out of halftime when there was an altercation in the locker rooms. There was an altercation with Cam Brown, and granted, he was provoked because Robin, Roman Wilson was trying to grab his ankle. But it, there were definitely times there where it felt like frustration was starting to get the best of Ohio State. They were starting to lose their composure. I asked Bryson Shaw about that after the game, and, and he agreed, but he thought uh, they did let their emotions play with them at times. And so they were disappointed by that because that's something that they try uh, to prepare themselves not to do. But, you know, when I really look at this game and, like, what it really boils down to, like, Michigan just seemed more prepared for this game. And, and their game plan seemed to be way more creative and thorough for this game. And I, I think there's a few potential reasons for that. I mean, I think for one, the fact that Michigan was playing Maryland the week before and Ohio State was playing Michigan State the week before. Again, I'm not making an excuse here, but just as a factor in it. Because it felt like Ohio State really played its best football of a year against Michigan State. So I like 
it was clear Ohio State was not looking ahead at all in that game. And Ohio State, they were just clicking on all cylinders against Michigan State. And I think that's what makes this letdown so shocking is I mean, they, they look like we were talking last week about, oh, yeah, they're the second best team of a country. And they just didn't play anywhere close to that same level against in Michigan. And we hear so much about how Ohio State works this game all year and prepares for this game all year. And you just didn't see that on Saturday. I mean, you just didn't. You just didn't see a team that looked like it had been pre- preparing and prioritizing this game more uh, than any other game. Now, the other thing that I do wonder, and just based on what we heard from C.J. Stroud after a game and even other things I've heard about players being sick, is I do wonder... It sounds like there were a significant number of players who were dealing with some sort of illness last week. And I do wonder if that impacted the game plan that we saw from Ohio State. Again, we haven't had a chance to talk to the coaches and ask them about this yet. So this is pure speculation from my part. But to me, this game kind of felt a lot like last year's Alabama game, where the, the game plans on both sides of the ball were very vanilla. And it makes me wonder if, Maybe they didn't get to practice as much as they normally would. And maybe they felt because of certain things that were going on that they had to keep their game plan very simple, which Michigan did not. And I think that showed on the field. Another question here from The True, I believe is what that says. We came up a little short of 100, which of course is in reference to the hang 100 on their heads comments from Ryan Day a couple years ago or last year. Was it because of the snow, they ask? And while I certainly don't think that Ohio State could possibly use that as any type of excuse, I do think that the snow and the environment in that game being very cold, snowing during the game, and it obviously started snowing a lot worse immediately following the game, but the, the environment definitely played into the hands of a team that would be able to run the ball and stop the run, which is exa- exactly what Michigan did. And when Ohio State couldn't do that, I think that only the environment of the game only exacerbated that and, and highlighted it more and highlighted what we're talking about with Maybe Ohio State has become more of this skill-oriented team and potentially needs to get back to more of a physical style of play. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it worked in Michigan's favor, but I also don't think you can blame it for the game because this game could have been played in a dome. It could have been played in 80 degrees and sunny, and Michigan still would have gone for a run-heavy game plan. And I don't think warmer weather would have suddenly given Ohio State an ability to stop the run, but it suddenly lost because it was cold. So did it maybe exacerbate things? Sure. Do I think it really made a significant difference on the way this game would have played out? No. Dan, I'm sure you'll love this question because you already had a little thing about it earlier. But one of our listeners, T Vosra87, asks us, do you think C.J. Stroud's shoulder injury kept him from running the ball? He's a great passer, but if we run the read option and the quarterback hands the ball off 90% of the time, the opposing D is crashing down on the running back every time. He has the athleticism to scramble to get first downs and more, but seemed hesitant to take on contact. Dan, do you think that was true in this game, and how much do you feel like C.J. Stroud not running the ball or running the ball actually mattered in terms of that game or the entire season? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't think I noticed anything different in this game than the rest of the season, and I assume the the question is more related to the entire season. It might have. I mean, this shoulder injury certainly might have, but I think it was more 
of a game plan thing, really. I think it was more – I don't think Ohio State was really looking for him to run the ball much more than he did. We did see he actually would have had a rushing touchdown in that game, a pretty nice one, if not for a holding penalty that, that brought it back. I, I think the shoulder may have psychologically had something to do with that, but I also think some of it's just game plan. And I think it's, I think this is one more of those things that Ohio State's going to need to look at next year and say, okay, do we need to incorporate more quarterback running plays to keep the defense honest? I mean, I think that's certainly something Ohio State needs to look at. Do I think that C.J. Stroud not running the ball is the reason why Ohio State lost this game? No, I don't. I mean, I think I don't think you can look at 2.1 yards per carry and go, well, that's because the quarterback didn't run. I mean, I think the offensive line needed to block better, and I think the play calling probably needs to be more creative. I think they probably need to enhance their running scheme a little bit and find different ways to create matchup problems. I mean, one thing that really surprised me when I was looking back at the snap counts of this game is Ohio State basically never used multi-tight end sets in this game, which... Typically, if you're going against a team that's good at stopping a run and you're trying to run the ball, you'd think that you'd want to try to create some numbers advantages there. And Ohio State didn't do that. They pretty much stayed in in the their base free receiver offense on almost every play, which, again, makes me go back to wondering were there maybe things that happened during the week that maybe prevented Ohio State from being able to to game plan and and install the kind of plays that they would for a game like this. But I think specific to the game, I don't think that C.J. Stroud not running the ball was the reason why Ohio State lost. I do think that it's a fair question for going forward in terms of whether they need more of that from their quarterback. And I know another question we got from Keys or Keezy, he asked, should we be recruiting dual threat quarterbacks to keep the defense honest? tired of watching the ever good team spy our running back because they know our quarterback will never run the ball. I mean, it's a fair question, but what I'd say right now is they don't really seem to be doing it. I mean, I mean, even for right now for the 2022 class, Ohio State's trying to get Devin Brown, who's another pro-style passer, but all the quarterbacks they have are pro-style kind of guys. And so I just don't think that's the way Ryan Day is is recruiting at the position or building at the position. That said, as we talked about before, I do think Ryan Day needs to evaluate his offensive philosophy this offseason and consider what changes need to be made so that next year in big games when Ohio State needs to be able to run the ball, it will be able to do so. So the obvious question now, Dan, is, What now for Ohio State? Because it's been since 2015 that at this point in the season, Ohio State really has nothing to play for at this point because, of course, the four straight Big Ten championships. I mean, I remember even thinking the last couple of years, like like a a Big Ten championship for Ohio State is is a prerequisite, basically, something that they they have to achieve because it it seems so easy for them to do and that they have to take the next step, right? That's what these last couple of years making it to the CFP has been about. Now, though... Not even having a chance to win a Big Ten championship game, and unless hell freezes over, basically, we don't. We Ohio State will probably not be making the CFP this year. There's still a slim chance, in, and I don't know if you want to break that down anymore. The probabilities of that, but it's looking like we think probably the Rose Bowl for Ohio State here, and there's still a game left. But it's it, the, the abrupt ending to the season just makes it feel like 
man, I mean, what even is the motivation for the Ohio, for Ohio State going into the bowl game? Yeah, I mean, there's a there is a scenario where it could at least become a debate for Ohio State. I mean, if you say Georgia beats Alabama and Iowa beats Michigan and Houston beats Cincinnati and Baylor beats Oklahoma State, if you get three or four of those things to happen this weekend, then you could suddenly end up in a position where they're going to have to take one or two two loss teams. And if that scenario unfolds, then there's a chance that the committee could factor in Ohio State to that conversation. We are recording this before the CFP rankings were announced on Tuesday night. And so, you know, that's obviously going to be a, a factor. But, you know, I think it, it's pretty obvious that Ohio State is going to need some help. And even if it gets that help, there's no there's no scenario which you can look at right now and go, if this happens, Ohio State is for sure in the college football playoff. You could end up in a scenario where, okay, Ohio State has two losses and Alabama has two losses and Cincinnati has a loss now and Baylor just beat Oklahoma State and they all have two losses. You could have a bunch of teams in that two-loss conversation where the committee has to decide, okay, which of these teams are we going to take? And I don't know if it would be Ohio State. I mean, I don't know. But there's a scenario where that could theoretically become a conversation. But Ohio State needs enough help for that to happen that I don't think it makes so much sense for us to really talk about it anymore. Because I, I think if you're Ohio State, you have to assume at this point you're not going to make the college ball playoff. Because when we talked about it all year. I mean, the, the reality is you can lose one game, you can't lose two. And Ohio State lost two. And so... Most likely, uh, that's going to mean a non-playoff bowl. It could mean the Rose Bowl, and it's a weird situation because if you want Ohio State to go to the Rose Bowl, you're going to have to root for Michigan this weekend because if Iowa beats Michigan, then Iowa would go into the Rose Bowl as the Big Ten champion. It would automatically get that berth since it's not going to make the college football playoff. And because of that, then Michigan, which would likely still remain ahead of Ohio State, even if it loses to Iowa, would then be in position to make either the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl as the next highest ranked Big Ten team. Now, with that being said, Ohio State's still probably going to be highly ranked enough that it's also going to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. And so... Chances are good that even if Iowa beats Michigan, that Ohio State would also get into either the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, and then there would be three teams in the New Year's Six. But if you want a Rose Bowl berth, then you're going to be in the position of rooting for uh, Michigan to win this weekend if Michigan loses, then things get a little bit more uncertain for Ohio State to where Ohio State could potentially even fall to the Citrus Bowl, but it's probably more likely with where Ohio State will be ranked that it's going to go to either the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl as a third Big Ten team in the New Year's Six.
There is a potential for an intriguing Rose Bowl matchup because if Oregon beats Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, then the Rose Bowl could theoretically be an Ohio State versus Oregon matchup because the the Rose Bowl contract, basically, they're going to get a Big Ten and a Pac-12 team. So it could also be Ohio State versus Utah, which I'm not sure that's really an intriguing matchup. But Ohio State versus Oregon, a rematch, I feel like for a non-playoff game, that would probably be the best case scenario because I think there would be some juice for that one, at least in terms of this is a chance to get back at Oregon, a chance to avenge that loss from earlier in the season. And I think that would give them a little bit more to play for than if they are playing, say, Utah. I think Ohio State fans have been arguing almost since that Oregon game happened, maybe a couple games after that when Ohio State finally started to find its groove that, okay, that wasn't really the Ohio State team that Ohio State became and that Ohio State would blow out Oregon now if they played in a rematch. Well, that rematch could actually happen here at the end of the season, and that's probably the only real scenario where Ohio State has something of meaning to play for because it's the situation where they can get some redemption at the end of the season. And, I mean, also, you just losing to the same team twice in the same season as well is, is not something Ohio State wants to do. And, I mean, imagine, in, in general, just losing a bowl game after losing to Michigan. Those are all things you want to avoid. But I think if you're talking about a matchup with Ohio State and Utah, that's a matchup that just doesn't it doesn't move the needle nearly as much as an Ohio State-Oregon rematch. And so that's definitely one I think fans would be clamoring for. Yeah, I think the big question now for Ohio State is what kind of Ohio State team are we going to see in a bowl game? Because it can go one of two ways. I mean, a lot of times when a team has playoff aspirations and they don't make the playoff, they're not particularly motivated for that non-playoff bowl game. And I think some of that we'll, we'll see in terms of the next few weeks to see, okay, do players opt out of this game or does everybody decide to play in it? I mean, I'm not going to really make guesses on who's going to opt out or not or, or whatnot because I have no idea. But you know, I think that will be telling if you see numerous players opt out of a bowl game that might kind of tell you where where the team is at if they all decide they want to play in it that that might take and to preface that i wouldn't blame anybody if they decide to opt out at this point because you're not playing for a, a championship at this point and so if they decide you don't want to risk an injury you want to just start preparing for the nfl i wouldn't blame any ohio state player who decides if that would be the best option for them I, I do think the Rose Bowl would carry more cachet than the Citrus Bowl, for example. I do think of, I think the Oregon rematch thing probably would mean more to fans than it would to the team, but I think it would mean a little something to the team. I do think regardless of bowl, I, I certainly think it means something to the team to go and win a bowl game. Because I think if you finish the year with a loss to Michigan – followed by a loss in the bowl game to a team that they're almost it's very likely to be a team that Ohio State's going to be favored to beat and higher ranked than I if, if Ohio State goes and loses a bowl game and Ohio State hasn't had free losses in a season since the infamous 2011 season so if, if Ohio State was to lose a third game in the bowl game and finish 10 and three I mean that would be it the season is already a disappointment because you didn't beat Michigan and because you're not going to win a Big Ten championship and you're very likely not going to be in a playoff. But I, I think to at least finish the season with some positive momentum uh, would be a good thing. And so I, I do think 
the guys who play in that game are going to be motivated for a win. I do think Ohio State is going to go into that game trying to win, caring about winning, wanting to win. But it's it's certainly not the same as a college football playoff game. And it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see kind of what once we start to talk to players again and they're preparing this game, it's gonna be very interesting to kind of hear how they're approaching it, what their psyche is to this game, and we'll ultimately see it. I think twenty fifteen is probably the most comparable situation to this team in the college football playoff era. And that team did. They went to a Fiesta Bowl and they beat up on on Notre Dame. They certainly were a team that wanted to make a statement there at the end of the year. And so we'll see if this team can do the same. And Dan, another question moving forward for this team will be staff turnover. Because unless you're living under a rock, you will have seen that there's been a lot of, of things going on in the college football coaching carousel here ever since last Saturday's game and a lot of high profile moves as well for big time college football coaches, obviously assistant coaches as well, specifically for the Ohio state staff though. There's some guys that have now been around for a few years. And of course, after a few years in in some of these spots, guys tend to move around and and accept other offers and and look elsewhere. We've we've certainly been seeing rumors and and reports about guys like Kevin Wilson. There's been the last couple of years rumblings about Tony Alford, obviously on defense as well. A guy like Al Washington just, had an offer from Tennessee just this past year. How do you think the de- the defensive staff or the staff in general will change and, and how much do you think it needs to moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the coaching carousel. I mean, again, we're recording this on a Tuesday before a Wednesday, so who the heck knows what's going to happen uh, between uh, now and then because if you told me three days ago that Lincoln Riley would now be the coach at USC and Brian Kelly would now be the coach at LSU, I would have not believed you (laughs) because these past couple of days have been absolutely crazy in college football and who knows what's going to happen next. So, I mean, that's the first thing is like, who knows what's going to happen? Like any one of these guys could go and choose to leave and and go coach somewhere else. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that? But I certainly do think there's going to be some turnover on the coaching staff. I think starting with the defensive side of a ball, I think Ryan Day needs to you know seriously evaluate that staff. And I think it starts with bringing in a new defensive coordinator from outside the program. I think Matt Barnes, he didn't consider it to be an audition, but to me it was an audition these last 10 games of his potential to be Ohio State's full-time defensive coordinator going forward. And, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we talked about it on Friday that, you know, we thought there was a possibility that they finished the season strong that Matt Barnes was just going to be promoted to defensive coordinator. Like, I felt, even a week ago, I felt like that was a very real possibility with the improvement we've seen from the defense, but obviously did not finish strong against Michigan. And I do think that they need to bring someone else in as a coordinator of a defense because the defense has not performed up to standard the last two years. It's a move that they probably should have, or at least could have made last year. Ryan Day decided not to do that after a very weird year due to COVID. And I think that was understandable, but I think to now have had a full season where the defense continued to strike, I think that suggests that they need someone else to come in and, and really revamp the defense and strengthen them from a schematic perspective and a coaching perspective. And so I anticipate that there will be at least one new addition to the defensive coaching staff. 
Who that will be, I don't know, because Ryan Day doesn't have the same kind of network and coaching history that an Urban Meyer might have to where you can really obviously draw names to who might be the next candidate. But I think, but that's his job now is as a head coach of one of the top programs in the country, he needs to be able to go out and get one of the best coaches in the country from somewhere else. And so I think that's his job now. And it's a job he has to start on right now, because like you talked about, Griffin, the coaching carousel is already moving at warp speed. And so I think ideally you'd prefer to be able to get through the bowl game and then figure this stuff out. But that's not really the way it works with recruiting and changes elsewhere and whatnot. And so I think a lot of this is going to be uh, hashed out over the next couple of weeks. Whether, whether moves are finalized or announced in that time frame, I don't know. But I think certainly uh, a lot of decisions and a lot of discussions are, are going to be had over the next couple of weeks regarding uh, the future of the defensive coaching staff. And I think we're kind of in a position where it's like, it's not like there's an obvious, like this person's going to be gone, but it's also, there's not anybody on the defensive coaching staff where it's like, I'm sure that guy's going to be back next year. Like Larry Johnson's the one guy you point to and say, I'd be shocked if they let Larry Johnson go. But you know, there have been some rumblings out there that maybe maybe this will be the time that he decides to retire. He's going to be 70 next year. So we'll see uh, how that ends up. But that is something that's a possibility right now. And I think of Al Washington. I think the linebackers were uh, far from great this year. And I think you can look at his overall three-year tenure and you can certainly ask questions about whether he's gotten the job done in terms of a developer of his position group. And so I think a change there is possible. Not that I've heard anything suggesting that it will happen, but I think it's probably something that is at least should be considered. I mean, I think the way I see it with Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs is my feeling is one of those guys is going to be back next year. I don't know if there's necessarily going to be room for two of those guys. And I think some of it, I think a lot of it's just going to depend on uh, Kerry Combs is not going to get his defensive play calling responsibilities back. So I, I think he's a guy they'd probably love to keep as a cornerbacks coach and as a recruiter, but I think he's got to be willing to take on that role. And when we talked to him in October, he did say that he remained confident in his ability to be a defensive coordinator. So he may not want the reduced role. He may want to go somewhere else where he can have more responsibility. I think Matt Barnes is likely to be back next year, but you never know. If another another school comes in looking, they want him as a defensive coordinator, or maybe Ohio State, maybe Ryan Day just decides bringing somebody in, he just doesn't fit. You never know. And so it's going to be very interesting to see where things go here. But I do think there's going to have to be some changes made on the defensive side of a ball and the offensive side of a ball. Again, I mean, Kevin Wilson, Tony Alford are two guys that I think could potentially get head coaching looks. I know there's been some speculation about there about Greg Stadrawa's future as well. Again, not really sure how much there is to that, but I do think this coaching staff is going to look somewhat different next year. And, and the way this coaching carousel is spinning right now, I don't know that I uh, can save 100% certainty that anybody's going to be back next year because you just never know. And Bucknut Golfer asks us about Stud in particular. Do we think that Coach Stud's health had an impact on the O-line play this year? Because if you guys don't remember, Stud had a, a back issue, I believe it was, um, early in the season. I think it was even in the season opener, as a matter of fact, that he, he kind of started feeling something yeah. in his back. He ended up having surgery and, and ended up having to do some coaching. I think for the Tulsa game, he was doing some 
watching the game from a hospital bed, as a matter of fact, and wasn't around for part of a week. Do I, how much do I think that actually affected the O-line play? Well, first of all, I don't actually know, so I can't really answer that. But second of all, I can't imagine that would have much of an impact on the team. I mean, he was supposedly only gone for a, a pretty short period of time, so I, I just don't really imagine that affecting the team's play all that much. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things you never really know. You never know, like, okay, like, how much practice did he miss? Like, did it limit his ability to coach during the season, after, even after he returned? That much I don't know, but, yeah, I tend to agree that I, I don't necessarily think that was a reason why the offensive line had some issues. I think it probably had more to do with the fact that they shuffled the offensive line around and basically had new guys at every single spot, and then they were you know, trying to rotate more guys in and again I mean I don't think some people disagree because of a couple games I don't think the offensive line was horrible this year or even bad I think they had a bad game against Michigan but I I don't think for the year as a whole that they were terrible or, or anything I think certainly you look at the performance against Michigan and in a couple other big games and you can certainly say that they didn't do what they needed to do in those games and that's something that I do think needs to be evaluated and, and that might go as far as evaluating whether Greg Stadrawa should even be back at Ohio State next year well we'll see what happens but you know to me you know my guess and again I mean because you, you just don't know everything that goes on outside inside the program but to me it, it, I feel like one of the big issues was the shuffling everything around and, and maybe maybe trying to do something that didn't necessarily put everybody in their best position to succeed here's a very interesting question Dan from OSU bias one of our listeners is it possible even likely that Ohio State has become or is becoming Oklahoma being that the team is obviously Offensive-minded has an offensive-minded head coach. Only had a good defense when it had four first-round draft picks on it. Still lost because of that defense and is consistently embarrassing, OSU Bias says, on defense for two years straight. I think that's actually interesting because I think that's the fear for the fans is that you want Ohio State to be a team like Alabama that has kind of mastered having now a very high-flying offense with also having a great defense. Whereas you look at like a Georgia, for example, known for a very stout defense don't haven't always recently had some insanely dynamic quarterback, for example. Ohio State, of course, has had that aspect of it with Ryan Day coaching the offense. But if you don't have the defensive element of it, then you kind of you're kind of like Oklahoma, right? I mean, a team that that has one part of the equation but not the the full balance of things. So, so what, what do you think about that question? And Ohio State can can avoid maybe being Oklahoma, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. I don't know that it's a characterization I necessarily agree with because, I mean, to me, that's been the MO on Oklahoma for a long time. But to me, I think we're talking about two years here with Ohio State. And so I don't know that I'm ready to go there right now. I get what he's getting at, and I think it's a fair question. But, you know, it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of maybe putting more of an emphasis on the line of scrimmage and the run game this year. I, I think that might be something they need to look at. But I also think the tough thing is it's like these things go in cycles. Like a year ago, it was like, well, there's too much emphasis on the run defense. The pass defense is getting eaten up. So they, they change that, and then it goes the other way. I mean, four years ago, it was we don't pass the ball enough. We need to adapt and become a more modern pro-style offense. Now Ryan Day does that, and now we don't run the ball well enough. 
there aren't many teams in college football that are just perfect in every area. It just does, I mean, even this year, I mean, you mentioned Alabama's defense has not been great this year. Their offense wasn't great against Auburn. So, I mean, it's very hard to have a team that excels in every single area. And so I, I think that's the tough thing is just trying to, the standard that Ohio State is held to is so high that it's very difficult to ever completely meet that standard. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, how many times in history has Ohio State really had a team that was dominant on both sides of the ball and dominant in every phase of a game? I mean, it's a hard thing to do. And so I, I do think that, you know, there needs to be some evaluation of, you know, what Ohio State can do differently to make up for some of the issues that it had this year and and certainly i think it's fair to question like okay like like is what we saw the last couple of years gonna become a trend where we have this really explosive offense but maybe aren't quite complete enough to win it all i mean i think it's a fair question but at the same time i mean ohio state went to the national championship game last year i mean it got slaughtered by a really good alabama team but if not for that Alabama team, maybe that Ohio State team. I mean, Ohio team was good enough to beat Clemson. It was good enough to get to the national championship game. And so I just think you have to be careful about overreacting to a couple of games, a couple of losses, and think suddenly that Ohio State isn't capable of winning a national championship. Because, again, we were talking about them a week ago as a team that was capable of winning a national championship. So I, certainly I think the defense has to get better. I think the Michigan loss is a bad loss, but things happen. I mean, I mean, I think the one thing like to say about the Michigan game before I finish up is for one, I mean, Michigan's a really good team this year. Like if they win this week, they're going to be in the college ball playoff. They're, they're a top five team in college football this year. It, it's the best Michigan team we've seen in a long time. And you got to give Jim Harbaugh and his new staff a lot of credit for getting that thing turned around in a way that I genuinely did not think they were going to be capable of this year. And in a rivalry like that, you're not supposed to just dominate every year. That's become the expectation over the past decade, but it hasn't always been that way. And so I'll say this. I, I think Saturday, as bad as it was for Ohio State and as bad as it feels if you're an Ohio State fan, I do think it was good for the rivalry because I, I think the rivalry had become so one-sided that you were people were starting to question whether this even really was a big rivalry. And now I think it's all the way back. I mean, you got you talked about it before, all the trash that Michigan's talking. Uh, Ohio State's not going to forget those things. It's going to add even more anticipation for next year's game and certainly more desire for Ohio State fans than ever to go and win next year's game and, and dominate next year's game but i also think it's a reminder that winning a rivalry game shouldn't just be assumed and that maybe even zoom out a little bit more that the, the, the big 10 is caught up to ohio state a little bit to where for a few years there it just seemed like man ohio state's gonna roll through the big 10 every year but you know we saw well, michigan state i mean yeah they didn't compete with ohio state they're still a top 10 top 15 team this year penn state didn't have a great year but they're still a team that's uh, capable of competing for Big Ten titles, and they've got a really good recruiting class coming in next year. And so I think the Big Ten is back now to where you've got, especially on that east side of the division, you've got four real contenders 
And that's going to make it, that puts more impetus on Ohio State to tighten things up and, and to build a team that is capable of winning tough games week in and week out. Because certainly going into this season, I, I didn't think that final six-game stretch of a regular season was going to be nearly as tough as it was. But it was a tough stretch. And we talked all along about how it was going to be tough for Ohio State to get through that stretch. And it almost did, but it ran out of steam at the end. And I do think one thing that you can take away about this team right now is it feels like a team that when things are going well, they're going really well. Like when they're clicking, especially on offense, like they were in that Michigan State game, I mean, they were almost unstoppable this year. But when they got out to a slow start, when they faced some resistance, it's like they didn't quite, I don't know if they lost confidence or if they just started pressing too much or what, but it felt like this was a team that when things started to go wrong, they weren't quite as capable of, of bouncing back and, and turning the game around in a way we've seen from some past Ohio State teams. And so I think that's a big thing that I look at. And I think some of that goes to back to the fact that it was a young team. It was an inexperienced team. I mean, being in the situation they were in on Saturday, playing on the road, trailing for most of the game, that was a situation that this team really hasn't been in much. And I think that contributed to the fact that Ohio State just wasn't able to turn things around. But I think that's going to have to be a point of emphasis going forward from this is to figure out how to build this team in a way that when things don't go perfectly, when things aren't smooth sailing for that high-powered explosive offense, how do you grind out tough games? And we saw it against Penn State, and we saw it against Nebraska. We didn't. We saw some of it, but certainly in what can be considered the two biggest games of the year, they weren't able to deliver. And if you're looking for a positive out of the Michigan game, kind of like how you touched on there, a lot of young guys that are going to be back for Ohio State playing in big games next year, they have a chip on their shoulder, especially with the rivalry game that they did not have before because it was an assumption that they were going to win the game. I mean, that's just how it's been over the last decade. And you just look at, look at the Clemson matchup as well with Ohio State, those several losses in the bowl games, and it manifested itself eventually into that huge win last year. And the team obviously had a chip on its shoulder for that matchup. This now, the loss on Saturday, allows Ohio State maybe to have a chip on its shoulder against Michigan that it might not have had just because of the assumed dominance over them in recent years. Well, we're out of time here on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. So thank you uh, for joining in and listening to us talk about what I know was a dark day for many of you. But Ohio State will play one more football game this season. By the time we talk to you next week, we will know what that game is. So we'll be back next week uh, to talk about the bowl game matchup. Uh, We'll also have had some opportunity to talk to Ryan Day and presumably some players by then. So we'll talk about whatever we gather from that and talk about basketball and uh, whatever else might come up here because the way things are are going in college football right now, if coaching changes, transfer portal, all that, I have a feeling there will probably be more news within the next week that we can discuss next week. So we hope you'll join us then. Thanks again for listening in and have a great rest of your week.